0: Welcome back to Part F of my commentary to Yom Kippur. This is the audio companion to the written notes. I'm the author, Tor Teacher Ariel Ben-Lyman Hanavi. This is Part F. We're going to talk now, um, because there are, there are 13 sections to the whole commentary. We're on Section 12, entitled... Uh, Leviticus 18.5 Torah observance equals eternal life the question mark after the word life and then after that I'll provide my conclusion we've been talking about the uh, tension and the friction caused between the two communities uh, Israel on the one hand and the church on the other hand both vying for the truth of how God extends permanent and lasting atonement to the covenant uh, individual of course the standard missionary position uh, A.K.A. the Christians, is that Jesus is all we need and the sacrifices um, can no longer do what uh, they ostensibly did in the past. The, mis- the anti missionary position, a.K.A. the Judaisms of today and of days gone by, seem to uh, reject the notion that Jesus is all we need and then fed- instead seek to put forth some sort of system um, composed of charity, um, repentance, and prayer, uh, as the vehicle, of course, with a penitent heart, a vehicle by way, uh, by which to secure the atonement that that is so desperately sought by every individual. During our studies, we've gone round and round with different texts. Is Jesus the only way, or do prayer, repentance, and chair, uh, charity? Um, In fact, uh, uh, allow for God's mercy to be extended to us. I think what we basically found, and I'm trying not to get ahead of myself, but basically what we found out as we study the relevant texts, is that Yeshua is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through him. However, we must understand that the ingredients that, that the Judaisms of today describe, the charity, repentance, and the prayer those are in fact necessary ingredients of a genuine heart change but the problem is man cannot do it on his own he must rely on god's um power to change him on the inside and that means ultimately he must surrender his will to god's will and in that surrender the truth of and the light of messiah can be clearly seen so we we talked about these different things Judaism has the right orientation; they just they just fail to make that final surrendering step and allow Jesus to come in and to change them from the inside. Christianity, unfortunately, throws the baby out with the bathwater. They do accept Yeshua, but they didn't then do an about face and toss the Torah out, feeling that it is no longer necessary um, to help uh, lead an individual into righteous walking, into righteous uh, living. And uh, that's an unfortunate uh, step for the Christian church to take. Let's talk now about Leviticus 18, because this is a this is also more or less a chair passage. Um... Remember, the term chair passage refers to a, a pasic, a verse that causes one or more groups to take their position and go off in a di- different direction on the map. It's kind of like if you were driving down a highway and you came to a fork in the road, you had to either go left or go right. And depending on which choice you made, it would lead you off in two different compass directions. You understand? Well, chair passages seem to carry that that similar feature, depending on how we interpret them and what uh, our, our halakhic, Practices regarding what the verse tells us, we can go down one road or the other. And Christianity chooses one way, and Judaism chooses another way. And this is one of those passages Leviticus 18, verse 5. Again, as before, let's pick up the previously recorded audio as I have recorded it to Parashat Acharei Mot. At this point in my commentary, let me briefly pull in. Um, just, just some brief comments from a live class session that I did on uh, the intro to this particular section in uh, Yom Kippur's um, commentary, You know, Leviticus 18, uh, 18, verse 5. Just about a minute or so. I want, I want you all to hear what I had to say in that live class there, okay? There's a chair passage that shows up in Paul's writings uh, in Galatians and in Romans, and it's key to our understanding, our relationship to these covenants as well. To be sure... Historic Judaism, although they have possessed the Torah for 3,500 years, have historically misunderstood this passage. The church, although they're in possession of the New Testament and the Spirit, they historically have also somewhat misunderstood this passage. So, it's interesting. We're going to look at it. Let's look at Leviticus 18, verses 1-5. through If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, it's in the handout there for you, okay? The English reads first, The Lord said... To actually, you know what? I'll read English, then I'll read Hebrew, then I'll read English. If you look at the English, you'll see they have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and the Hebrew kind of has groups uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, so you can kind of follow along what's going on. The Lord said to Moses, Vaidaber Adonai el Moshe lemor. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. Verse 3. You must not do as they do in Egypt where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. Kamaase eretz mitzrayim asher yeshav tem ba lo ta'asu uch ma'asei eretz kina'an asher ani mevi etchem shama lo ta'asu uv Tehem lo telchu Verse 4, you must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Et mishpatai ta'asu et Hukotai tishmuru lalachem Bahem ani Adonai Elohechem. And then verse 5, keep my decrees and laws for the man who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. Ya'asei atem ha'adam Vahai Bahem ani Okay, this little passage here becomes a point of discussion for Paul in Romans and in Galatians to explain to his audience, which is made up of Jews and Gentiles, believers and unbelievers, mixed, right? But primarily he understands that the leadership is Jewish believer. So in those four possibilities, we have a Jew, we have Gentile, we have believer, we have unbeliever. Everyone's either in Paul's mind in this simplistic world that he lives in. There's this dualism. And everyone is either a Jew or a non-Jew, and they're either a believer or a non-believer. You can't be simultaneously Jewish and non-Jewish, and you can't be simultaneously believer and a non-believer. You can, you can be a combination, though. You can be a Jewish believer. You can be a Gentile, un, uh, Gentile believer. You can be a Jewish unbeliever. You can be a Gentile unbeliever you guys are seeing the four squares there Okay, very simplistic this is who Paul writes to and that's basically the way we view the world if we're Jewish Okay, Um, very just black and white in those terms as I mentioned again it's a dualism Um, when Paul writes his letters he's writing to Jewish people as well as non-Jews believers as well as non-believers but primarily to Jewish believers who are the leaders in the congregations that he's writing to right? that makes sense in this letter, he has to describe and or, and I'm going to move this table a little bit because I need to be a little closer to this board. He describes this, this problem in the first century with the way that the groups were, uh the, the leaders in the, in the Judaisms were understanding covenant membership. Remember during the question and answer session we touched on this issue of covenantal nomism? Well, just so it turns out that in the studies we're, we have to hit it anyway. So here we go. Basically, I drew up here a, a simplistic way of thinking of the two different prevailing halakhic views in the, uh, in the first century. When I say the two prevailing views, this first one here I labeled works of the law, and it's that view over there. And that's more or less the standard song and dance of the first century that I'm going to describe here. This second one here is Leviticus 18 because it's actually the accurate way, the correct way. Okay, so here we go. In the works of the law view, which was again, Paul held to this view before Yeshua opened his eyes to understand what the truth is. And there was it was it, this was a view that was, it's not taught by the Torah, but it's inspired by the Torah. because you can see, there's there uh the 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 language is um covenant it's covenantal language, and the verses that the, that the this view uses, I'll show you in a moment, come straight from the Torah. But what ended up happening is, just in case you're wondering, how do they get to, how do they get to this view? If this isn't what the Torah taught, where did they get this view? Well, it, it's kind of a result of their historical um, journey that they've gone through. Israel, if you remember, would, would find themselves disobeying God, and then they'd get kicked out of the land. And that's their fault, right? God didn't say, you know, I'm having a bad hair day, so I'm going to kick you out of the land. No, he already told them way back in Deuteronomy. He told them in the stipulation. That's why the Abrahamic Mosaic Covenant is, uh, if you do this, I'll do this. So God, for his part, said, well, because you've obeyed, I, for my part, am going to exile you out of the land. So the land vomited them out because the people were disobedient. Gross idolatry and on and on and went with Israel. So as they found themselves outside of the land, they found themselves marginalized. It's like if there was, it, it's kind of like what ends up happening when you have a whole group of people and there's chaos. You suddenly clamor for the people that you know and you clump together. Because it provides kind of a security and a safety net, right? Um, we do this just naturally. This is our human nature. When we're in crowds, we stay with those, especially if you're younger children, right? Younger children just don't think, you know, I think I'll wander around the crowd. They innately kind of stay close to familiar faces and people they know. And... Um, Think of uh, Israel as being kicked around from nation to nation, or in this case, they got kicked out of their own land. So while they're in exile, they clump together. And in this clumping together, which there's nothing wrong with that, they begin to self-identify. They begin to say, you know what, if we're going to live, if we're going to survive, we've got to stay together. But we need to know who's who. So we've got to give ourselves kind of like an identity that's, that's very well known to us. What are the markers of our own identity? What are the ways in which we know that we are a people group? Otherwise, what's going to happen? We're going to assimilate, and we're going to lose our own culture. And if you lose your own culture, you lose your heritage. Israel had realized earlier on that their culture was given and defined by the Torah. Therefore, as a unique people group, they had to stick together. So in the um, few centuries just before Yeshua, if you remember what was taking place, were the Hellenistic um, campaigns. The Greek armies were seeking to basically just go through and do whatever they want to do to whoever they want to do it, and not answer to anybody for it. And when they encountered Israel, they said, "Hey, this is a quirky kind of people group. They cut themselves and they worship an invisible god, and they take one good day off of work and they abstain from really good food." And we just can't figure them out. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to do like to, we're going to do them. What we do to every other people group, we're going to make we're going to assimilate them. You guys have seen the Star Trek movies. They're like the Borg. Resistance is futile, right? They're going to assimilate the the Israelites, the Jews. But the Jews are a feisty bunch. They wouldn't assimilate. They they said no, nope, 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 nope. You know they they, they resisted. <laughs> but what they did in their resistance is they caused themselves to call to come closer and closer into the self-identifying, to where they they, they basically pulled themselves around, pulled pulled themselves into a huddle and drew a line around them and said, "This is us. Anyone out there? That's them." That's what I mean by the dualism. You're the Jewish or you're other. It doesn't matter what other you are, you know, a Mede, Persian, Greek, Rome, Scadian, whatever. It doesn't matter what you are. You're not Jewish. You're them. So it's Jew and Gentile. So in this view, they got to think of themselves as people who possessed certain characteristics, badges, if you will. A uniform was developed, and this uniform was based on the Torah. So what they did is they 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 began to kind of think of the steps of how they got to where they were. And in their simplistic way of thinking, the individual Jew or the individual entered the covenant by birth or by conversion. Birth meaning they were born into it, right? Your parents are Jewish, therefore your kids are Jewish. They grew up, they marry Jewish you have a man and a woman, they give birth to a Jewish boy. He grows up, marries a good Jewish girl to give birth to another Jewish child. And on and on perpetuate, right? Jew gives birth to Jew. So they're born into it. But what happens every now and then when you get someone who comes in from the outside who joins the people group? That's acceptable. We don't have a problem with that. As long as that person coming from the outside, coming in, lives by the rules. Worships the God that we got worship and follows the rules that we follow because that's what God said. What do good Jews do? They, they obey the Torah. So by birth or by covenant. Okay? In that simplistic view, they, they thought this is the beginning for the individual. This individual then moved into or gravitated toward or became or found his identity in the community. Now the community is reckoned as righteous. Why? Because God only cut a covenant with the community. Do your quiz. Pop quiz. Did God actually cut a covenant the same way that he cut with Israel with any other nation? No, he really didn't. So this, this, by the way, is another challenge to the church. If the church wants to find herself in the covenant of God, they better find themselves in Israel. The church who claim, proudly proclaims, we're not part of Israel. I'm thinking, then you're not found. Plain and simple. God is a covenant-keeping God, and he only exists, he works through covenant. And the covenant that he cut with Israel is the only covenant there is. Now it extends to people groups, don't get me wrong, but the people groups must come into Israel to find their identity. So Israel figured this out. They're thinking the community is reckoned as righteous, because we're God's bride, we're God's elect, we're God's chosen. So because the community is reckoned as righteous, it was a short, short step for them to think, therefore, the individual is righteous because he's a part of the community. All right? This was their simplistic way of thinking. The individual enters the covenant by birth or conversion. And because he's part of the community, therefore, the individual must be righteous. That's the conclusion they came to. Sounds very simple, no? That's what we call works of the law. Okay, It's a policy. It's an ideal. It's a belief system. It does not mean keeping the law, just like the church says. The church says the works of the law. Like, for instance, we may hit some of the verses in Galatians earlier on. But basically, works of the law is a policy. So that's the policy. Now, the 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 truths of this policy are this. It is true, probably the, the, the biggest truth of it is the underlying aspect that God allows anyone to join the community of Israel and that this community is in fact a unique community that God chose from out from all the peoples of the earth. All right? The part the where it starts to fall apart is that the individual is reckoned as righteous just because he's part of the community. Okay? And by the way, this would be involuntary uh, righteousness. In other words, he's, he's righteous just because he's a part of the group. Regardless of what he does. In his mind, he thinks his, individ- his status, his legal status before God, is righteous because of his being part of the group. All right. Let me use church parlance here, and this will make sense. The Jew on this end... He is a Jew, by the way. Let's give him a keepa, right? All right. The Jew on The Jew on this end... Thinks he's going to heaven because he's a Jew. He thinks he's going to heaven because he's an Israelite. I'll, that's church parlance. Okay. So when you go knocking on the door, you do your evangelism, right? You got the Romans Road or the Four Spiritual Laws. You go knocking on the door of the Jew. He answers the. I heard you guys talking about that earlier. You go knocking on the door. You pull out the Four Spiritual Laws. You start witnessing to the Jew. He stops you in the mid sentence. Wait, 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 wait. I don't have to. You don't have to lead me to God. I don't have to go to heaven. You don't. You don't have to tell me how to get to heaven. I'm a Jew. I'm a community member. I'm in. He doesn't understand that he's individually lost. He thinks because he's part of the group he's in. It's like the old bumper sticker that said, "I, f- uh, 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 I found it." I think it came out in the '80s. It was a Christian bumper sticker. "I found it." Do you remember that? Or do you have a question? Sure. The before born, Did they believe this? No, it, it was, it the how, how the how they believed? Oh, this this is all first century. This is right. yes. This is before Eshua. Uh-huh. Yes, but not too much earlier before Yeshua. Moshe didn't, Moshe's community didn't experience this poison. They didn't really didn't have a reason to. When they lived securely in their land, they didn't have a reason to think of themselves as marginalized. They moved and lived throughout the land and breathed. But when they disobeyed and they started getting fewer and fewer in numbers, that's when they grouped together and said, we need to draw a circle around ourselves. And this is the circle. So it, it it's... It, It manifested itself most strongly in a few centuries before Yeshua, during Yeshua's time, and following afterwards. And it still exists today. Before I get going into uh, my commentary, let me just tell you that about a few years ago, um, I had the unique opportunity of engaging in a lengthy debate with a non-Messianic rabbi over the important implications behind this single verse. And uh, the debate was not in 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 in, uh, in person. It was actually via e- email, and so because it was, I was able to keep my notes and keep his responses. Now, I've decided to share a selected portion with you here in this commentary. Um, but let me let me preface it with a word of caution my apologetics my scriptural defensive reasoning they were aimed at the gross error that exists within the scholarship of the jewish learned okay my comments were intended that is to say to expose that error in an effort to showcase the truth of the torah to a man whose eyes were blinded by defensive not passive unbelief okay this 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 rabbi who i was discussing with was not seeking to understand the truth he had already formed his opinion about the truth and decided that the messianic position was wrong therefore he was already defensive and therefore my uh, replies are meant to to be couched within that uh, tone so um he, he also had ill feelings towards the christian community of which he believes is in serious disobedience to the Torah of the very God that they claim to serve, so he had, um, he he was he was already in a position where he was lashing out, and so my comments, I'm, I want you to know, should not be understood as being applied to the Jewish people as a whole. All right, I'm not singling out any particular Christian group either. Rather, um, I, I'm speaking to this man, and truth cuts to the heart of the issue for those who walk in disobedience. In other words, if you find yourself in the position that this man was in, well then what I'm I'm about to say in my commentary might offend you. Alright? To use modern vernacular, if the shoe fits, then wear it. But I'm not trying to single out any person um, other than that person that I wrote the commentary to. Um, Also, since it was done during email, um, I don't have permission to post any of his comments. So, you're just going to have to see what I wrote. It's kind of like what Paul's letters are like. We see Paul's writings, but we don't see the responses. So, that's kind of what's going to happen here. I had to kind of um, contextualize. You're going to see what I wrote, but you're not going to see what he wrote back. All right. Um, what I did during my response to him is I mixed my own comments with those of noted author and translator David H. Stern as found in his Jewish New Testament commentary. So what you're going to hear is my words and Stern's words mixed together, uh, moving in and out of one another. I wasn't trying to plagiarize David Stern. What I was trying to do was um, underst- or get this, uh, this rabbi to understand that the position that I was speaking of was not my own position. I was quoting from David Stern in an effort to show that the position being held by many messianics is also um, championed by someone the likes of David Stern, some with higher degrees than I have. At any rate, let's see if we can read through this, alright? Here we go. These, these are all my words, alright? Well, my response using some material drawn in. In other words, when I'm speaking, I may, may, may cite a reference, but it's still my own response, okay? Here we go. Moshe spoke of the righteousness that is, well, let me pause and say that we're launching from the verse in Leviticus 18, verse 5. Alright, here we go. Moshe spoke of the righteousness that is grounded in trust in Vaikra 18, verse 5. Quote, that the person who does these things will attain life through them, end quote. Rashi, quoting the Sifra, comments, quote, it refers to the world to come. For if you say it refers to this world, doesn't everyone die sooner or later, end quote. I understand the Torah then to be hinting about eternal life, although the Peshat is surely teaching Israel that the covenant member will live his life according to the Torah instead of seeking to become a covenant member by keeping a set of laws, something the teachers of Israel never taught out right in the first place, yet not uncommon among the superstitious. That many Christians don't believe that the Torah teaches eternal life through their teachings of the mitzvot is irrelevant. If they have made a serious error in their theology, they, the Christians, must answer to Hashem for misunderstanding His Torah. Why do we become so caught up in the middle of false teaching? Is it because of the fence that we've built around Torah that we defend it so fervently? In any case, they are wrong about Torah, they Christians. It is to be kept, not disregarded. It is the goal of the Torah to lead its followers to the righteousness grounded in trust. But have you ever stopped to think that they, the Christians, the Menim, the sectarians, may have understood a central part that our people, the Jewish people, miss? The lesson in logic goes like this, all right? The person who practices the righteousness grounded in the Torah will necessarily have the trust in Yeshua that the Messiah... I'm sorry, let me try that again. The person who practices the righteousness grounded in the Torah okay, will necessarily have the trust in Yeshua will have the trust in Yeshua, the Messiah that... um. I, I think the sentence is wrong. Let me read that again. The lesson in logic goes like this. The person who practices the righteousness grounded in the, in the Torah will necessarily have the trust in Yeshua the Messiah that the Brit Chadashah proclaims. No, it's right. It's the right sentence, all right? Why would they have this trust? Because legalism is the exact opposite of trust. The heresy of legalism, when applied to the Torah, says that anyone who does these things, that is, anyone who mechanically follows the rules for Shabbat, Kashrut, etc., will attain life through them. They will be saved or will enter the kingdom of Hashem. They will e- obtain eternal life. No need to trust Hashem, just obey the rules. That's legalism, okay? At least it's couched in the language of the Christians. What is more, to the point concerning historic and modern Judaism, however, is the heresy of ethnicity, that is, being born Jewish or following after conversion, which supposedly automatically guarantees the Jewish person a place at the table with Avraham. Now, the problem with these simplistic ladders to heaven is that such legalism conveniently ignores the rule that trust must underlie all rule following, which Hashem finds acceptable. But trust necessarily converts mere rule following into something altogether different, in fact, into its opposite, genuine faithfulness to Hashem. Therefore, legalistic observance to Torah commands is actually disobedience to the Torah, Moreover, works of law, which was the requirement of the Gentile to convert to Judaism, as regulated by the prevailing halakha of the Judaisms of the first century, is also disobedience to the Torah. Now I went on to tell this, Rabbi, as a Jew who follows the Torah as given him by uh, uh, through Moshe Rabinu, I challenge you once again, legalism, that is legalistic obedience to Torah commands or reliance upon one's ethnic status is disobedience to the Torah. One could be obeying every single mitzvah except by assumption the mitzvah of trust. But if these things are being done without heartfelt trust of the God who is there, the only God there is, the God who sent his son Yeshua to be the atonement for sin then all this outward obedience, quote-unquote, is hateful to Hashem. You can read Isaiah one fourteen, And the person doing it, the legalist, lives under a curse. Why? Because he's not doing everything written in the scroll of the Torah. Read Devarim 26, twenty uh, six. Keeping the commandments will not save a person. Being born Jewish or converting to Judaism will not guarantee a person a place in the world to come. Here's my conclusion to what I was writing to the comment to the rabbi there. Now, here's the sad truth: the evidence that non-Messianic Jews, that is to say, your anti-Missionaries, have not submitted themselves to Hashem's way of making people righteous, which itself shows that their zeal for Hashem is not based on correct understanding, is that they have not grasped the central point of the Torah and acted on it. Had they seen. That trust in Hashem, as opposed to self-identification, legalism, and or mechanical obedience to the rules, is the route to the righteousness which the Torah itself not only requires but offers, then they would see that, quote, the goal at which the Torah aims is acknowledging and trusting in the Messiah, who offers on the ground of this trusting the very righteousness they are seeking. They would see that the righteousness which the Torah offers is offered through him and only through him. They would also see that he offers it to everyone who trusts to them and to the Goyim as well. End quote. That's what I had to say to that uh, non-Messianic rabbi back then. What I also want to let you know is that the commentary to that Leviticus passage there, Leviticus 18 verse um, 5, is common um, in... um, in rabbinic circles today. Let me turn, in fact, to my own commentary to um, Galatians There, Let me just pull it up right off of our website. This is from Exegeting Galatians right off of the website. Let me turn to page... Let me look for it here. Let's see. Leviticus 18, verse 5. What happens is in Galatians... Uh, let me just turn to Galatians in my Bible here. In Galatians chapter um, 3 at verse 10, Paul writes, quote, For everyone who depends on... I've, I've whited it out in David Stern version, I apologize. Let me look it up. In, um, uh, let's look it up in the KJV. I'll make sure I haven't whited it out there as well. Galatians chapter 3 and verse, um, I'm sorry, verse 3 and verse 11, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. Uh, and then verse 12, and the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Now, of course, um, Paul's quoting from Leviticus chapter eighteen verse five. So in my commentary to Galatians here, let me turn to what I had to write there. Let me just find it here. It's a lengthy commentary, and so I I, I I can't find things right away. Chapter three Here we go. Uh verse here we go. All right, uh, this is quoting from my commentary to Galatians. Um, this is not in my commentary to Parashat Achrei so this is a treat for those of you listening to the comment to the uh, uh, podcast. Um, Verse 11, clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. End quote. Here's my comment. Sha'ul now states emphatically that no one is justified before God by the law, a statement that can only mean that quote, no one is justified before God by submission to a man-made ceremony as postulated by the prevailing halakha of the first century Judaism. End quote. Alternately, Sha'ul's statement is a teaching against any mistaken notions that the Torah in and of itself automatically granted covenant status to the individual participant. Again, Paul uses a conjunction, the Greek word because, which is oti, as a clarifier to further the truth that would-be covenant members do not walk into Torah submission to gain covenant status. Rather, submission to God's Torah is proof of a commitment already made on the part of an existing covenant member. Read the verse again. Quote, because the righteous will live by faith. Because, Hoti. all right? Verse twelve goes on to read, quote, "The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them." Now, here's my comment. Here, the writer of um, I'm sorry, the, the quote is from Leviticus eighteen five, a verse that Shaul will eventually go on to use again in Romans ten five. In a similar discussion about covenant membership, I might add. The context of the passage in Leviticus warrants careful study. Let me just read Leviticus um, 18, verses 1 through 5. Okay, you ready? Quote, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I'm bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my degrees. My decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws, for the man who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. End quote. Now, here, the writer Moshe describes the lifestyle of an existing covenant member as characterized by obeying the laws spelled out by the Torah. Do you see that there? Because they are covenant members, God expects them to live a certain way. It's not that God is saying live this way so that you can become covenant members. They are already covenant members, therefore they are expected to live a certain way. Paul refers to such a position as clearly described in the previous verse. In other words, Paul expects his readers and opponents alike to come to the same conclusion as he, which is this: all right, genuine. And this is this, this what I am about to read for you is basically a summary of what I stated to the non-Messianic Rabbi. All right, genuine. Torah submission does not precede genuine faith. Genuine Torah submission is the natural expected result of genuine faith. Stated another way, genuine and lasting obedience flows from the heart that has been circumcised by the Spirit of God Himself. The order of procession is vitally important for Paul's argument. Okay, Faith comes first. Obedience follows faith. Such a processional order is also implied in the historical order to which the covenants in question were given. Namely, the Abrahamic covenant, typified by faith, preceded the Mosheic covenant, typified by obedience. Do you see that? By comparison, the influencers of Paul's day had the sequence reversed, suggesting that faith came as a result of following after the teachings of Torah, as indicated by their preoccupation with the ritual of circumcision and with that let's go ahead and break this off right here simply because it's the natural place to stop my commentary at this point with uh, point number 12 Um, we're poised now to conclude the commentary starting with paragraph point number 13 entitled Conclusions, so stay tuned for that and that will be my final section to this audio commentary to Yom Kippur, okay, stay with us